we look at the sermon this morning, we're looking at what does it mean to follow the Son of Man? What does it mean to confess His name and then to follow Him? And Paul actually lays out some of those very same things in this letter to Timothy. So listen carefully to what God says through Paul. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Pray together for God's help in understanding His Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You've given us Your law, You've given us Your Word. And Lord, as we look at Your Word and we we seek to meditate on it and to follow You, we pray that You would be with us to help us to understand. We know that You are the light and that You are able to shine into our hearts to give us understanding to shine into our hearts, to give us conviction of our own sin and to shine into our hearts and to to help us to obey you in all aspects of our life. We pray, Lord, that you would do this now as we come to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. It's Luke chapter 9 verses 23 to 27. If you remember what we're doing together is we're walking through Luke chapter 9. And as we look at Luke chapter 9, we're answering two basic questions. Who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow Jesus? Each passage in this chapter is pushing us to ask and to answer those questions. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, then verses 23 to 27. Listen to what Jesus says. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I read this passage, the one sentence jumped into my mind. It's a famous sentence. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Those are the words of Jim Elliott, a missionary to Ecuador in the 1950s, who lost his life preaching the gospel. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain 
what he cannot lose. He is no fool, in other words, who is willing to give up even his own life, even the thing that's most important to him, to serve Christ in order to gain eternal life. Did you hear those words? I'd say, no fool? Really? Really, because many people around us would look at us and say that we are fools. They may even tell you that to your face. We are just throwing our lives away in order to follow Christ. Maybe you've heard some of these things. Surely you, you can't actually believe that stuff. I heard that one. Um, why do you have to be so uptight? Why can't you just enjoy yourself? Why can't you just let that thing slide? Or, I know you want to serve the church and all, but isn't there a better use of your time? Often they'll also fill in what you should be doing with your time, right? These are just some examples of how people react to faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Well, in our passage today, we are looking at what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Remember, in the previous passage that we saw last week, Jesus has just taught his disciples about his own suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection as the Son of Man. And now in verses 23 to 27, Jesus explains what it looks like for anyone who wants to follow this kind of Son of Man. The main idea that we're going to see here is that Jesus actually enables his followers each one of us to share in his suffering now so that we may share in his glory as well. So Jesus is actually enabling his followers to share in his sufferings now so that we can share in his glory as well. Now we'll see this truth in three basic points. There's the pattern of discipleship, there's the principle behind discipleship, and then there's the promise for discipleship. Let's start out with the pattern of discipleship. That's in verse 23. Jesus lays out a pattern for all of his disciples. If you remember, Jesus has just been talking only to the twelve. He's only been talking to his apostles in that previous section in verses 18 to 22. But now in verse 23, Jesus turns away from the apostles and he addresses the entire crowds. He is now speaking to all. And he says, if anyone would come after me, this is what he must do. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus must follow this particular pattern. There's no other way to be a disciple except to do the things that Jesus says right here. And even a quick read shows that what Jesus is commanding is a difficult and a painful pattern. I mean, self-denial, okay? Carrying your cross, these sound hard and painful. They are difficult. What Jesus is calling us is difficult. But there is so much grace in this passage as well. And actually, you see the grace that Jesus gives even in these opening words. Because right here, he gives a gracious invitation to discipleship. This one way of discipleship is open to anyone. If anyone would follow me. If anyone. Anyone can follow Christ. Men, women, boys, girls, 
You could have a PhD. You could have never gone to school at all. You could be rich. You could be poor. City, country, could be from anywhere in the world, any race. It doesn't matter. This invitation that Jesus gives to be his disciple is open to all. Anyone who has heard the good news that they are a sinner and that Jesus has died for sin, anyone who hears that good news and then believes on him, anyone who does this, can be Jesus' disciple. But for each and every true disciple of Jesus, no matter where they came from, no matter who they are, for every true disciple, there's only one path and one pattern of life. That pattern is what Jesus lays out here in this verse. Now, according to Jesus, there are three clear parts to the pattern of Christian discipleship. Denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following Jesus. As I've said, what Christ commands here is not easy. But why is this the pattern that Jesus wants for us? Ultimately, the pattern that Jesus calls us to This pattern of denying ourselves and taking up our cross, that is his own pattern. That is what he did. Think about what Paul says in Romans 8, 29. What did God do? God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. You and I right now are being made to look more and more like Jesus. But we are being made to look like a suffering Jesus first. Paul again, Philippians 3.10, he says, My desire, this is what Paul wants, is to share in Jesus' sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now that truth from Paul is actually a reminder of what Jesus has just taught his disciples in the previous verse. The Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and killed. Now Jesus says that his followers must do those very same things. Things. We must be like our Savior. Let's look more closely then at the three parts then of what, what Paul or what um, Jesus says about Christian discipleship. What does it actually look like to follow a suffering Son of Man? Jesus speaks first about denying yourself. Any disciple must deny yourself. Denying ourselves means we give up what we want. Sometimes we have to give up what we want because we want wrong things. Denying ourselves means fighting our own sin, fighting those evil desires that we have. But sometimes, and I think this is sometimes even harder, God calls us to deny ourselves, to give up even good things in order to serve Him. That's important to hear me what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we can't enjoy things, okay? If you take that away, that is a false, actually unchristian idea of self-denial. God has given us great joy, and he's given us things to enjoy in the world. But the principle is that in our lives, it should be God's will and God's way before my will and my ways. Let me give you a quick illustration. I'm sure you can think of many other ways that this might apply, but the one that came to my mind is money. How do we handle our money. If I really believe that my money is actually given to me by God, then when God shows me a need, I will happily give to meet it. Notice I didn't just say I will give, 
I will also happily give to meet the need because I am actually denying even a good thing the way I might normally use that money to be able to serve God and the clear need that he's shown me. <coughs> because self-denial, part of, this, part of the point here is that self-denial is actually submission to God. Our desires, what we want, our emotions, even how we feel, our actions, what we think and what we do, we want our whole lives to be under God's gracious control. That's what Jesus means as he talks about the need for us to deny ourselves. But Jesus also says, part of being my disciple is to take up your cross daily. The image that Jesus uses here is probably easy for us to imagine, right? Every true disciple of Christ is like those people of Jesus' own day who were condemned to death. And when they were condemned to death, they had to walk through the streets of the city carrying their own cross on their shoulders to the place of their execution. That's a graphic picture. And that graphic picture makes the reality that Jesus commands here so much stronger because Jesus is commanding his disciples to willingly suffer for him. And notice that one word, daily. To willingly suffer daily for Christ. What does it look like to willingly suffer for Christ? Well, each one of us suffers because we live in a fallen world, right? We get sick, bad things happen, we even die. But even with this general kind of suffering that actually everybody in the world experiences, this is still part of bearing our cross because we suffer as believers. We know that this is not how the world should be. We know that this is the effect of sin. So we actually suffer because we know this is not right. But there's a lot more to suffering for Christ. We also suffer when we are tempted and we actually fight back against our own sin. Have you ever thought of fighting temptation as suffering? When you fight temptation, when there's that sin that is trying to grab a hold of you and you're actually fighting back against it, can you feel that? Can you feel that conflict? It hurts to turn away from our sin. It hurts to deny that sin. So part of taking our cross daily then is fighting our own sin. It's actually being obedient and Christ-like in our life. But part of suffering, bearing our cross, is also suffering from others for following Christ. This may actually have been where your mind went first when I talked about bearing your cross and suffering for Christ. Maybe your mind went to persecution, like what so many of our brothers and sisters are experiencing right now, much more than we are. Thinking last week about some of our brothers in Eritrea from churches that our missionaries were instrumental in planting who are spending their days and nights in shipping containers suffering for Jesus Christ. But actually, we all suffer for Jesus Christ. It's not just those people in faraway lands. We're all suffering for the name of Christ. When people do think that you're throwing your life away for following Christ, 
That's actually a kind of suffering for Christ. You may also know by experience other serious kinds of suffering for Christ. Maybe there's tension in your family. Maybe there's tension in your family. Maybe your immediate family, extended family, over Christ. It's also true that there's even tension and harsh words in marriages when one spouse is following Christ and one is not. Sometimes we suffer for Christ by losing friends who are not willing to put up with us as we seek to serve Jesus. Sometimes you might experience work, place, not harassment maybe, but targeting people who are willing to say bad things about you, talk behind your back, because you are willing to follow Christ. All of these are actually examples of suffering for Christ, taking up our cross daily. And actually, Jesus may call us one day to be willing to give up even our own lives to follow him. But the point, the basic point here of what Jesus is calling us to is that you and I, if we are true disciples of Christ, we will suffer, and we will suffer because we are Christians. We will daily bear our cross. So Jesus has talked about denying ourselves. He's talked about daily bearing our cross. He also says that we need to be following Jesus as his disciple. Now, this third part, following Jesus, I think this is more straightforward to explain. Following Jesus means imitating Jesus Christ in all aspects of our lives. Now, if you see this pattern then, this this kind of threefold pattern, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus, do you see that that pattern that Jesus commands you to live, do you see that that's actually the pattern that Jesus himself lived? Think about it with me. Did Jesus deny himself yes he did I mean he didn't have sin like we do so he wasn't fighting his own sin but he did submit his will according to his human nature to the father's will think about what he says in the garden Luke 22 not my will but yours be done Jesus did deny himself did Jesus bear his cross yes he did every day of his life actually was bearing his cross. He suffered as the perfect one coming in to live in a sinful world. He suffered when he was tempted, though unlike us, he never sinned. And he suffered to the point of actually dying on a real physical cross. So that way of self-denial, that way of bearing our cross is the way of discipleship because it is first and foremost the way of Jesus Christ himself. But even as we are trying to follow Jesus, it is more than just imitating Jesus. We do not just imitate Christ's example and try to just deny ourselves a little bit more to be more like him or to bear that cross just a little better today to be just a little bit more like him. No. Part of the grace in this passage is right here. That if we're actually united to Jesus by faith, then we are united to Jesus in his sufferings. Which means that through the work of the Holy Spirit, God makes us look like Jesus more and more. And not only is he doing that, he's shaping us to be like Jesus, but he's actually giving us the power that we need now 
to be like Jesus, to actually follow Jesus, to actually deny ourselves, to be willing to suffer for him, and to follow him in all aspects of our life. This is God's work in you and in me. So that's the pattern behind discipleship, is that we are supposed to be following in Christ's footsteps. But Jesus goes on to give us the principle behind discipleship. That's really the second point here. We see it in verses 24 to 26. The obvious question when you read 23, the obvious question for me is, if this is true, if it's this hard, even if I know God's going to help me, why would I enter into this kind of discipleship? Why is a road of suffering like this worthwhile? And in verses 24 to 26, Jesus gives us the great principle that lies behind this costly call to discipleship. The principle that shows us why this road of suffering is the right road to walk. And the basic principle is this, that we view our present experience in light of the end result. In each of these verses, actually, Jesus zooms out to show the eternal effects of our actions, either a following him and what that will bring, or a following ourselves and what that will bring as well. Now, when I talk about this, looking at the end result, We actually live this in our everyday lives. If I told you, for instance, that I wanted you to start maybe a pretty grueling workout routine, or if I said, you know, you're going to have six months of physical therapy, there are going to be moments during that process when you're working out in the gym or where you go into the doctor's office where it is no fun. You feel the pain. But why are you doing it? Well, you're doing it Largely because of the end result. Do you want to feel healthier? You'll go exercise. Do you want to lose that cane? You'll go to physical therapy. The end result makes the hard days worthwhile. Well, this is what Jesus is saying in our uh, following him. The end goal makes the hard things now, following Christ, worthwhile. Now, in verse 24, Jesus describes the principle this way. The end result is either saving or losing. It says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now you can see in that sentence that he's using here, there's there's two sides to it, right? The first side is that of the non-Christian, the one who is seeking to save his own life. Jesus means by that, if you are focused on serving yourself, on, on holding on to the things that you find important, instead of believing and serving Christ, then you will lose your life. You too are going to die, and then you will discover too late, and this is the sad part, people around the world are discovering too late that if they hold on too tightly to the things of this life, that judgment and hell is what is waiting for you. That's the one side, but on the other side is the Christian. If you are willing to serve Christ, even to death, the one who is willing to lose his life, then when you die, what you have believed will be proven true. God's promise of eternal life with him forever and those promises of reward for faithful obedience will be for you. So saving and losing. Now in verse 25, Jesus looks at it from a slightly different angle. It's the same principle though. He talks about it now as profit and loss. 
For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Ask this question, what can this world give you that even comes close to the worth of your soul? Nothing. Nothing that we can find here will ever equal the worth of our soul. Think, think about the greatest king in history. Maybe that's too far back. Maybe think of the, the richest man alive. I don't know, is that Bezos, the head of Amazon? Think, think about him. Or think about maybe a powerful athlete, LeBron James, or some of these people who have millions of followers and are making so much money. These men have certainly gained a lot in life. Way more than you and I will ever get. Money, influence, control, popularity, they have it all. And yet, nothing they have and nothing they've done can save their soul. It is only faith in Christ and His work for you that can save you. Now, I use those examples and maybe, you know, we're not trying to run a multi-billion dollar company. I'm not going to be the next face of the NBA. I'm not actually even trying to gain the whole world. I just want a little, little slice of it, maybe. My ambitions are a whole lot smaller but Jesus' words still apply to us here and now. Because as sinners, what we are trying to do is we are trying to focus on life now. We can, be, we can be so focused on gaining something here and now that we are actually in danger of losing ourselves forever. Sometimes we do want big things. Sometimes we do want that big bank account. So we'll put in long hours at work. Sometimes we want that nice house. But sometimes, sometimes the things that we want, they just seem so small, actually. You know what? I just want a little more relaxation in my life. Maybe I want a little more entertainment, a little more love, a little more time helping others. Each of those things I've just mentioned may have a place in our lives. We need rest, for instance. All of us need it. But a relationship with God is worth so much more than any of those things. And as you look at your own life, if anything in your life is more important to you than God, even good things, if they are more important to you than God, then you are trying to gain something that will never, ever last. As Jesus moves on, as he looks now at the eternal picture in verse 26, he actually is pointing us now to the second coming, the real end result. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is pointing us forward to his second coming when he will return as the glorious Son of Man coming to judge the world with his angels serving him. Now, when Jesus comes, for the believer, that will be the best day of our lives because we will sh be shown to be righteous in him. But for anyone who is ashamed of me and my words, says Jesus, anyone who is ashamed of me, this will not be a good day. This will be the worst day of your life. And who are these kinds of people who are ashamed of Jesus? What does it look like to be ashamed of Jesus and of his teaching? It's striking that Jesus doesn't just say, people who reject me in my words. We know people like that. People who just outright reject Jesus. Don't want to hear about him. I don't, I don't want to be near him. 
But Jesus actually says it's about those people who are ashamed of me and my words. That shame that these people feel, that's related to the call of costly discipleship that he started out this passage with in verse 23. Many hear the the message of the gospel. Many people hear about a suffering and dying Savior. Many hear his commands to follow in his footsteps, and they, they feel shame. I don't want other people to think I'm stupid. I don't, I don't really want a life like that. That just sounds too hard. Or what will their people say? What will my friends say? My family, my boss, what will they say if I follow Jesus? The cost of following Jesus for these people just seems too high. But as Jesus explains, it's actually the cost of their shame that is too high. Because if you are ashamed of Jesus, if you are not willing to be identified with him and follow him, then when he returns in glory to judge, he wants nothing to do with you. That should be a sobering thought. That the one and only Savior and judge will look at you on that day and say, I never knew you. That's what he promises in Matthew 7. He will say those words. That should be a sobering thought to everyone who hears the message of the gospel and does not want to follow a suffering Savior. The principle, actually, that Jesus has been showing in each of these three verses is the same. View your present experience, the present cost that Jesus is calling you. View that present experience in light of the end result A willingness to suffer and even lose your life now for Christ leads to an absolutely secure life in heaven with God forever. It leads to sharing in the glory of the Son of Man. But a desire for comfort, a desire for acceptance, a desire for an easy life now leads to eternal death. That's what Jesus is saying here. But looking toward that end result, I mean, it seems so distant to me. Maybe it does to you too. I know Jesus is coming back. I know heaven will be worthwhile, but it seems so far away. That focus on that that end result, that takes a lot of faith. It's so much easier to, to see what's just around me now, to fill my time with the things that are around me. But Jesus knows that. And actually, Jesus then gives his disciples, and he gives us, a great promise in this final verse here to strengthen us as we seek to be his disciples. That's what we see third, and finally, the promise for discipleship in verse 27. Jesus says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What Jesus is promising is that some of his first years, some of those men standing right there in the crowd, would live to see the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus has been proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God, and he's been showing that power in his miracles. But but Jesus seems to be promising that something that is still coming, because when the crowds are seeing in the ministry of Jesus, what they're seeing is like a preview of the coming kingdom. But this kingdom... This coming kingdom where God is showing his power and saving sinners and defeating his enemies, this kingdom comes to its full fruition. We see it so clearly in Jesus' completed work when he is now our dead, resurrected, and reigning 
king. So the disciples and the rest of the crowds, this is Jesus' promise, some of them standing there will see the kingdom of God in its fullness. And they will see that only when Jesus has finally suffered, died, been raised, and ascended to take his place as king. Now we know from the rest of scripture, the book of Acts is all about the progress of Jesus and his kingdom. It's about the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's the spread of the church. People are are saved. They They are brought in. They grow. And this growth of God's kingdom is in the face of opposition. The very gates of hell are not able to stop the kingdom of God. Now you might be saying as you hear these words, well, that's all good stuff, but what does that have to do with being a disciple of Jesus or of, or of suffering with him? How is the kingdom any kind of comfort or help for me? Well, this is a promise that is meant to encourage each of us as we follow Jesus as his disciples. The success of the kingdom of God is right here and right now. You know, those, those first disciples, some of those who lived to see Jesus go into heaven and saw the kingdom of God spread around the world, they saw the success of their king, Jesus. That encouraged them to follow Christ. And the same thing is true for us. We live so much further on than them. We have thousands of years seeing Christ's rule really being shown. We have all of Scripture. We have so much more understanding about what has happened. When we see the kingdom, when we see the church growing, when we see the church being successfully defended, it is proof that Jesus the King is living and reigning. When the gospel is being preached, when people are brought to faith, when believers are growing in faith and in obedience, when these things happen, and they are happening right now, don't have to look elsewhere. They're happening right now in our church. We are meant to be encouraged to be faithful disciples because we are seeing the faithful work of a faithful Savior and King. We can be encouraged to serve sacrificially now because we see what Jesus himself is doing and because we know that he will return again to bring everything in creation then to recognize him as the King that he actually is. So I looked at this passage. I I found this passage very challenging personally. Just very challenging as I seek to serve Jesus Christ. And I hope that's true for you as well. Sometimes we run into passages like this in the Bible that actually push us to take a hard look at ourselves sometimes. This, This call to follow Jesus is very costly. It is. It's costly on a daily basis as we seek to live for him. But that pushes us to that basic question, how are we able to do this? How are we able to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses and to look ahead at the end result? It is our work. We are working out our sanctification. We are truly following Christ. But here again is the grace of God. And this is the encouragement as maybe we look at ourselves and we see it is hard and we aren't doing so well. Turn back again to the grace of God. This passage is full of God's grace. The only way we can do any of these things, really, is if God has actually saved us. And God has then given us His Holy Spirit. Apart from God's work in us, anything that Jesus calls us to in this passage 
is impossible. Okay? Totally impossible. But if he is with us, if he did save us, if he did give us his spirit, and he has, then this is so encouraging. We can take courage for that daily cost of discipleship because we have the Holy Spirit's presence and power right now. And that same Holy Spirit, Christ's Holy Spirit, who enabled him to remain faithful, who enabled him to deny himself, who enabled him to even die on the cross, that's the same Spirit that we have with that same power and that same end goal of serving God. We have God himself with us. And if we have him, and we do, you and I can and will remain faithful to the end. Faithful in whatever God calls us to. No matter what the cost, he will enable us to remain faithful to the end. That is something to praise God for. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are realistic about the cost of what it is to follow you because we see so clearly that Jesus Christ has gone before us and we see that his obedience to you led him to the cross and led him to death. But Lord, we thank you that you are not just calling us to imitate Jesus, to just try harder, to die a little bit more, but you are actually giving us the power of the risen Jesus Christ so that now as we walk in his footsteps, we walk in his power. Lord, we would pray that you would make us in this church faithful to the end to count the cost and to be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and suffer for you and to follow you in every aspect of our lives. We know that this glorifies you and we pray that you would do it for that reason. We pray this all now with joy because we know that you will give us the power to do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.